So a while back, uh, I gave up on uh, my second attempt to read the memoirs of uh, a Colombian politician, uh, a presidential candidate who was uh, kidnapped during the campaign by uh, revolutionary forces, by guerrillas, and held hostage uh, in the Amazon jungle from 2002 until uh, halfway through 2008. Um, this time I made it a third of the way through. This is, again, my second attempt. I made it a third of the way through before uh, I set it aside and said I just can't keep reading this. Um, now, and on the one hand, there's, the book is really interesting. Um, she is uh, in harm's way out in the, in the desert. I mean, there's, there's snakes and there's uh, jaguars and there's all kinds of diseases. I mean, all manner of ways in which she can die. There's lots of tension. Tension between the guards and the prisoners. Tension between the prisoners and the prisoners. Uh, and it's well written. I mean, there's a whole lot. It's a true story. There's a whole lot about the book uh, that recommends it to be read. The problem is... Um, I just couldn't handle her voice because she appears to be quite clueless as to how she is coming across. She does not seem to have the ability to relate to the struggles that other people are having around her. She cannot empathize with the other prisoners. She just, she just comes at this from an attitude of self-righteousness. She cannot see any way in which she is at fault in anything. And... Um, I, of course, am an expert at spotting self-righteous behavior um, in other people. And so uh, I found the book just too hard to read. So what does any of this have to do with prayer? Well, according to Jesus, it has a fair bit. And so let me back up. So this is the last message in this uh, series, 21 Days of Prayer. When we started a couple weeks ago, I... I uh, spoke out of uh, 2 Chronicles 7, where uh, we have this famous, you know, placard kind of verse, if my people who are called by my name uh, will humble themselves and pray and uh, uh, turn from their sin, you know, then I'm, I'm going to hear their prayers, I'm going to forgive them, and I'm going to heal their land. And uh, I use that to sort of say, look, um, if you look at the Old Testament, you look at the New Testament, you look at church history, you see that, that uh, people as individuals and then families and, and people groups, nations, whatever, there's often an ebb and flow to their life about how things are working. And, and alongside that, there's also an ebb and flow of their spiritual life, their, their connection with God. And so we sort of trace this through, again, the Old and New Testament through some church history. And then I said, I think we're in one of those ebb and flow cycles and we need to step back and look at it as dispassionately as we can. And so I listed these eight points that I have um, written and tacked on the wall in front of my desk at home that, uh, you know, lots of things are going well, but some things are more fragile than I realized and I should expect hard and uh, that I need, to, uh, I need to become more like Jesus and, you know, the, the church needs to be more shaped by the gospel. God remains in control. I can't do everything. So I, I have these eight points and uh, I said, can't do everything, but there, we can always do the right thing. And I suggested one of the things that we need to do, even to discern <laughs> what the right thing to do is, is to pray. And so I asked you to, to be praying with me over the course of these three weeks as we try to position ourselves for what will happen in the fall. And then last week, uh, Carlos Herrera uh, 
uh, preached and he looked in Isaiah and in 1 Thessalonians, talked about coming into the presence of God, talked about uh, the deep peace of God, the shalom of shalom. And then alongside this, we've been having daily videos on sort of some of the practical aspects of prayer, how to pray, what are the types of prayer, right? I, all, these, all these kinds of things, and there have been some additional supplemental resources as well. So today, I want to focus on what Jesus has to say about prayer. One of Jesus' teachings on prayer. Now, if you were paying attention to the transition video, you see that I'm supposed to be preaching on Elijah. That was the plan. And I like plans. I like to work plans. I like to know what I'm going to do. But this is one of those times where um, I thought, I thought Elijah was a great place for us to look. Because Elijah prays a lot of very interesting prayers. He prays some big prayers. He prays some specific prayers. He bold prayers. He, he prays crisis prayers, both sort of national crisis prayers and as well as personal crisis prayers. I thought there was a lot we could learn from the, the different prayers of Elijah, who's a, a big figure in the Old Testament, appears in the New Testament, the Transfiguration. And so that's what I worked on. And then uh, one, of those, one of those weeks where then, uh, yeah, it, it seems as though the Lord is telling me to throw out plan A. And so I want to look at, instead at, at a little bit more of a, perhaps the posture of prayer. And I don't mean physical posture. Um, you know, look, you can have any posture and, and engage in more, a deep, deeper presence of God. Uh, I do the older I get, the more I value actually kneeling in prayer. I mean, it, well, I value it sort of spiritually, and I think that it's the right posture. My creaky knees don't value it as much, but um, I'm not talking about our physical posture. I'm talking about our attitude as we come into the presence of God. And, and to that end, I want us to look at Luke chapter 18. So as you, like, as you likely know, Jesus does a fair bit of teaching on prayer. When the disciples ask him to teach them about prayer, he, he gives the Lord's Prayer, uh, our Father. And, and, uh, and there's a suggestion there, of course, that the disciples uh, realize that, that prayer is at the heart of who Jesus is and, and his, his effectiveness or his being, his presence. They, they, I mean, I, I, I got to I got to think that if I was uh, one of the uh, apostles, I would have been asking different questions like, <laughs> uh, that whole walking on water thing, could you teach me that? And uh, turning water into wine and uh, the, the catching an abundance of fish, leading well. I mean, there's all kinds of things that I, I would be curious about how Jesus did it. The, the, the disciples who are with him, right, they, they get an up-close-and-personal look at his life, and they identify prayer as sort of being at the, at the heart of, of Jesus and his mission. So they're not asking about these other things, but they do ask, teach us how to pray. And, and so you've got that, and then we get this doctoral dissertation that Jesus um, allows us to listen in on in John 17 when he prays, and we, we hear that prayer. Also get that in the Garden of Gethsemane. There's other times that Jesus will weigh in on prayer. And um, and we have one of those here in Luke chapter 18. And so I want us to turn there. So, uh, to some, let's just note, not to everyone, to some 
who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. Jesus told this parable. It's possible this teaching is not for you. There are some who were confident in their own righteousness, but apparently not everyone was. Maybe you're not. So um, maybe you're not, but, but listen carefully here because this is one of those, uh, you're going you're gonna, <laughs> to get it going or coming almost certainly. Uh, we're going to have two people, uh, one who is uh, proud and the other one who is humble. And uh, the one who is proud of their own righteousness, confident in their own goodness, is going to get undone by Jesus. And so uh, you can read this and say, okay, I, I need to not be confident in my own righteousness. So you're, you're convicted because you realize that you've got some pride in terms of who you are. Um, you know, perhaps if you're trying to figure out who you are, you could read your own social media accounts or uh, listen to your own conversations on all manner of topics. Maybe you're not that person. Maybe you are. But my point is, some are going to get undone because they're going to feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit about spiritual pride. There's another group <laughs> that is going to say, perhaps, I'm, I'm glad I'm not like that person who thinks they're better than that person. Which, of course, means um, we all sort of get this. It, this will become clearer as we go on. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, we know to not like the Pharisees. Jesus doesn't like the Pharisees. They're, they're often uh, object lesson uh, number one. The Pharisees are sort of smug, self-righteous, religious people who, um, who have got it wrong. And so we, we know by default not to like the Pharisees. The challenge here is that understanding, that approach is going gonna, is gonna to keep us from really understanding what's going on here. So the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like the other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. So just for the record, you've got the Pharisee who is likely a good guy. Uh, not, they're not uh, a robber, an evildoer, or an adulterer, right? So they're, they're, they're a, a good citizen. They're a holy person. They are, they are uh, generous. They're going to say that. He says that next. I fast twice a week, and I, I give a tenth of all I get. You, you weren't expected to fast twice a week. I think you're expected to fast once a year. So, like, I'm going way over in my religious obligations. And I give a tenth of all I get. So um, I'm generous, right? I'm, I'm <laughs> this, is a, this is a good neighbor, right? This is the kind of person you want to you wanna hang out with for the most part. They're trying hard to be honest, hardworking, moral, generous. That's who they are. As opposed to a tax collector. This is as, this is as low as you get if you are a Jew, and perhaps lower than, than a Gentile or a Samaritan or anyone else. Tax collectors were traitors. 
So tax collectors were, were, the, were the kind of people who, who would do whatever they needed to do to get ahead. So the Romans would sell these tax franchises. They'd take over an area, and then they'd just say, okay, so who is going to offer us to collect the most money? Who is going to be able to gouge your friends and family the most significantly to take everything from them, right? To threaten to beat them up, to break their thumb, to take their daughter, whatever you're going to do in order to get as much money as you can out of these people. Whoever says they can get the most money, you're going to get the franchise. And then that person would have to not only get that money, but they would get even more than that money because that money went to them. So everybody hates the tax collector. They're a traitor. They, they'll sell their mom for five bucks. They, they, they are going after their second cousin. They're doing whatever they need to do in order to get ahead. So um, you, you got these two groups of people. The tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. So you got the good guy the, the, the family man, the, the, the guy that's helping with, uh, you know, Cub Scouts and uh, PTA and, and mowing his uh, neighbor's lawn and being generous with the poor and all of that. You got the good guy, the Pharisee. We think bad guy. First century Jew would think good guy. And then you got the bad guy who is who you do not want around. You do never, you, want, you don't want to see this guy. The tax collector's trouble. He shows up, it's going to hurt. So you got the good guy who's going to get undone by Jesus and the bad guy who's going to get thanked. I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, the Pharisee, went home justified. Okay, this is a religious and sort of quasi-legal term means right, made right with God justified, and we know uh, justification was sort of a big, big leverage point that Martin Luther uh, wrote on uh, for the, the Protestant Reformation saying that we're, we are justified on the basis of Christ's work, 2 Corinthians 5, like we give Jesus our sin, he gives us his righteousness. We are made right before God. Um, so, so it's the humble tax collector the, the humble bad guy who is right before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. All those who exalt themselves. All those who think they're better than someone else will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. So um, <laughs> this, is, this is a challenging passage for all kinds of reasons. On the one hand, it seems so very simple. Um, two guys, two prayers, one good, one bad. Um, one God accepts, one God doesn't. This looks simple on the face of it. The Pharisee's a jerk. He's a self-righteous, self-important, uh, religious snob. The tax collector is a hero. Uh, and we think, <laughs> I'm glad that I'm like the tax collector. Okay. Except it's not that simple. Four starters. The contrast here is not between a religious jerk and a, a humble civil servant. As I've already said, the, the Pharisee is the good guy. The Pharisee is the guy you want as a neighbor. The Pharisee is the guy you want, you know, to marry your sister or your daughter. The Pharisee is the guy uh, that, that is being generous. I'm sure 
everybody thought they could be a little bit too religious, a little bit too, you know, spiritually heavy-handed. Yes, okay, they're, they're a little bit of that guy, but you could trust them. Um, the odds, let me say it this way. The odds are really high, <laughs> if you're listening to this, that you are a Pharisee, uh, and I am a Pharisee. So uh, you're thinking, look, you might not say this, but you're thinking this. I'm going to church, and, uh, and, and I give my money, and I'm in a small group, and I volunteer with Matthew Holmes, and, and uh, hey, I'm trying. That's exactly what a Pharisee thinks. Right? I'm trying. I am trying harder than the person who's not going to church, who's not volunteering, who's not in a small group, who's not having a quiet time, right? So it's easy to think, uh, if you're a Pharisee, that you are doing some things that God is pleased with, and that is setting you up for problems. The tax collector, on the other hand, is, look, there's no IRS code. You may not like the IRS, but at least there's an IRS code. The, the, the tax collector has got the power of the Roman Empire uh, in their back pocket, no legitimate system. Uh, they're just thugs out trying to get what is not theirs and give it to the Romans and keep it for themselves. So you hate this guy. You hate him all the more because they're a traitor. So... On the first pass of this passage, Luke 18, you realize that Jesus has set up a contrast between a religious man, right, a holy community leader, great neighbor, generous good guy, a guy you like, and a, uh, a scoundrel, a lecherous, carousing, cheat others, abuse women, laugh at the plight of the poor, jerk, a guy you hate. And then Jesus sort of flips it and confuses you and says, the, the guy who is thankful that he's not the tax collector, that he's not that bad, is in fact worse. And uh, all of this just goes, you, just, you realize the importance of, of self-awareness, of awareness of our brokenness, awareness of our, of our sinfulness, awareness of our, of our um, self-interest, and you realize that it is so easy and yet so incredibly dangerous to think too highly of ourselves and our efforts. That's the first pass through. Then there's the second pass through, right? Which may not happen for a long time, but hopefully, eventually, uh, you come to realize that, uh, that, that you say, I'm glad I'm not like that religious jerk. I'm glad that I'm not like the person who thinks he's better than the person. And then you go, oh, wait, <laughs> am I that person? Like, I'm glad I'm better than the Pharisee, and the reason the Pharisee is getting in trouble is because he thought he was better than the tax collector. So this, again, as I said, this is a passage that gets you going and coming. Jesus sets up something here that, that just is working at multiple levels. And in one hand, what he does is he, he, he sets us all on a level playing field. We are almost all. There, there is, I think, perhaps, possibly, a very narrow landing strip that we could, that we could navigate and come down on. But if you think... Here's the point. 
If you think you have got that point, if you think you have landed the plane correctly on the, the little narrow runway between, b between being in trouble because you're a religious jerk and proud or because you think you're a, a lecherous bad guy who knows you're a bad guy, consequently you, real, you think you're better than the jerk. If you think you found that little spot in there, then almost certainly you haven't. Right? <laughs> Thus, the challenge of pride the challenge of how we think about ourselves. So, this is a, a vexing passage of Scripture, and it's one that should disturb us. Jesus brilliantly puts us all on the same level. And, and there is much here for us to ponder as we think about our own prayer life. As we think about the necessity that we are going to be humble before God and the, the necessity that we never take pride in our humility. We never think we are putting God um, in, our, in, in our debt, that somehow we are earning something that means God should like us more and answer our prayers. Do you ever think that? I mean, do you ever think, well, God should, God should answer my prayers this week because I went to church, or uh, I, I should get God's favor because I recycle, or because I'm not a liberal, or because I'm not a conservative, or because uh, I homeschool, or because I send my kids to private school, or because uh, I use my time wisely, or because I, I obeyed the speed limit, or uh, I wear a mask, or I don't wear a mask, or I did the dishes last week, whatever. I don't know what it is. But do you ever find yourself thinking, if I do this, then God is going to be slightly more likely to answer my prayer and to think well of me. No. I, I, think, I think part of the, the teaching on prayer here is that we never end up putting God in our debt. The tax collector understands this isn't going to happen, but as soon as the tax collector is feeling better about himself because of the Pharisee's pride. The tax collector is now the Pharisee. So, <clears throat> there are a handful of things that we could sort of extract from this passage. There's, of course, as always, there's the, the lesson about comparison. Comparison is a fatally flawed exercise. Uh, if we're comparing ourselves to somebody other than Jesus, we're just setting ourselves up for all kinds of problems. We can feel better or worse about ourselves based on who we compare ourselves to uh, and what we compare ourselves on. It's always done from a distance. We never understand the full effort of what's going on or the full dynamics of what's going on. So uh, we're not told that we should be comparing ourselves with other people. Secondly, it's worth noting that um, spiritual pride is always a problem. Paul will bring this out in Philippians chapter 3 where he says, uh, I mean, it's, a, it's, it's a passage in which he seems to talk about pride, with a, a, uh, his lack of pride with a little bit of pride, but it's, it's a powerful passage. He says, look, if you want to compare religious resumes, bring it on because I'll win that comparison. 
right? And then he goes through his lineage. I was born a Hebrew of Hebrews of the tribe of Benjamin, right? And he gets circumcised on the eighth day. And he just goes through the whole litany. I went to the right schools. I got, the, I got straight A's. Uh, I was voted most likely to be martyred. I was, I was the guy that everybody wanted to be. Uh, I memorized more scripture than anyone else. Um, I am the guy. If you want to go toe-to-toe with somebody who took religion seriously, then let's do it. Bring it on. I'll win. But then he says, but none of that matters. None of that counts. None of that gets me anywhere at all. I consider everything that I have done uh, to be, you know, foolishness, rubbish, right? He just says it has no value. So, There are other things we can take out of this passage, but I want to stay focused on prayer. So um, I I think the message here is twofold. So the good news to hear, seriously, this is great news. The good news to hear is uh, that we can come to him, to God, at any time, no matter how bad we have been. And some of you need to hear this. Um, It's hard uh, to find someone more despised than the tax collector. They were as low as you could go, and this is the person that Jesus elevates and esteems because in their humility, uh, they experience the grace and love of God, and and their prayer is heard. And so it's important that we understand that God does not hear our prayers based on our Morality. We would like to think that's the case if we're trying hard to be good. Um, But that's not the way it works. It works on the basis of grace. It's an unfair system. You can be a sinner, and if you will be repentant and humble, then you go to the front of the line. And I'm not suggesting that you... You know, revel in sin. Sin is ultimately stupid behavior. It's self-destructive behavior. If we could see sin for what it is, and we had, uh, we were all knowing, and we had a total control of our will, we would never sin because it's always stupid, self-destructive behavior. When we sin, we give up our freedom. When we sin, we embrace uh, dysfunction in our life and problems and other things. So, I'm not suggesting that you sin, but I am saying um, the system is. This isn't a system of karma. This isn't a system which, if I'm good, then God is going to, um, then, then God is indebted to me. It's unfair, but it's grace. And so the good news is, if you have been profoundly wrong and sinful and broken, and you will own that, God will hear your prayer. The other side of this, so potentially you might say this is bad news, is that God is never in our debt. Like, uh, you cannot earn God's favor. You cannot do things that make it important for God to, uh, to come through for you. That's also not the way this works. This may be unpleasant news that we have no bargaining power with God, but uh, when we have a right understanding of who we are, uh, I think there's great joy the shalom of shalom, great peace in coming fully into his presence and resting in his grace. And prayer, among other things, provides us with that opportunity. So I want to encourage you 
I want to challenge you to keep praying, to pray for your own heart, to pray for my heart, to pray for the church, that we would become more like Christ and that we would find the, the, the mix of being, um, having the, the zeal and the passion to try and, and do the right things uh, that the Pharisee has, but have the awareness of our brokenness and the humility at all times that the tax collector has. And that we continue daily, hourly to come into the presence of Christ. The good news is, as we do, as we humble ourselves and turn to him, he hears our prayers. Father, we thank you uh, that ultimately we are, we are able to just completely trust your grace, your goodness, the work of your son, not of ourselves. Forgive us for our pride. Uh, we are riddled with it in so many different ways, some of them which we're blind to see. Uh, that's not who we want to be. Help us to be um, people who draw deeply into your presence and are shaped by your will, by your grace, by the, the values of your kingdom that we, we, are, we are shaped by your love. Guide and bless us to that end. Use us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.